Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. everybody, J.J. Cooper, Kyle Glazer here on a Baseball America podcast presented by MyBookie. You know, we are, it's Tuesday, it is the second day of the week, but I think the way that our colleague Josh Norris put it yesterday, last week was, uh, was a heck of a week. I mean, it was, um, it was intense. We had the trade deadline yesterday. We obviously had a lot of moves on Sunday, and then we had even more yesterday. At the same time, we did a trade deadline podcast last week, and I would say, as, as you've already written today, it was also a little bit uh, calmer than a normal tread deadline because, let's just be honest, it's, it's not a usual year, 60 games, 16 playoff teams, a lot of different reasons there, you know, no scouts in the stands, a lot of different reasons. But all that being said, Kyle, as you look back <laughs> I, right now, uh, uh, less than 24 hours after the uh, the deadline has passed, what is your overarching thought of what will we remember the 2021 trade deadline? 2020, I, I want to get to 2021, but we're not there yet. 2020 trade deadline. What it, you know? What will you remember from that? It has to be the San Diego Padres being as aggressive as they were. Six trades involving 26 players. Just the Padres. This is a team that has not made the postseason since 2006. They have not had a winning record since 2010. A.J. Preller took over before the 2015 season, does not have a winning record on his resume yet, five straight losing seasons. This year, this is a really, really good team. Going into the trade deadline, they were one of the most exciting teams in baseball. They had one of the best records in baseball. But very clearly, this said to me that the Padres and their management, they're not just going to be satisfied with, hey, we got to the postseason. They want to do damage when they get in there. They're gunning for the Dodgers. Now, we can go into whether or not they match up with the Dodgers now and what that's going to look like. But I think just the intent of, okay, you know, this isn't going to be a situation where if we get in, we lose in the first round. Eh, okay, whatever, we'll build on it next year. They're trying to get in and they're trying to win right now. They are clearly are. Um, there was, there's not even a question of who was the most aggressive team at the deadline. It's like the Padres. And I would say that you could almost say the gap from the Padres to the number two team on that list would be as far as the number two team to the least uh, you know, busy team that actually did make a move. Because obviously we have a significant amount of the, uh, uh, of, of the league that, that basically sat the trade deadline out. But um, I, I, I thought something you said there. It's like, yeah, they're trying to compete with the Dodgers. That said, one of the things that I thought was really important about this that stood out was – this is not about whether they beat the Dodgers in 2020 or not. They could have a nice run in the playoffs in 2020. They could have a run where, you know, there are going to be eight teams in the National League who are going to be in, these, in this postseason. Theoretically, let's say that the Padres go out, they win their first round series, they win their second round series, and then they lose in the third round, which, by the way, you know, having to adjust from, I used to remember a world where, Third round meant, wait, wait, there's a third round, you know. But um, 
But and they lose in the third round and never even face the Dodgers. That could be a, a, a very successful building block for this team that none of these moves, this is not a team that made moves that simply put all their chips in for this year. This is the team that obviously the biggest move, Mike Clevenger, is a move that should help them for several years to come. There's no question. The fact that most of the key guys they acquired have multiple years of control yet left potentially again, Clevenger, they have him into next year as well. Mitch Moreland, there's a $3 million club option. They can pick up next year. Austin Nola has five more years of team control left of the big guys. They acquired the only one that's a free agent at the end of the season is Trevor Rosenthal. So look, they had some holes to fill this year, but these are all guys who could help them fill it, fill it beyond. And, and for me, one of the biggest things is, you know, we talked about the Padres are one of the most exciting teams in baseball. They entered yesterday 21-15, and 15, uh, one of the best records in the National League. But they had some very, very clear holes, and they were just very aggressive and very direct about, we're going to fix this. We're not going to sit here and pray it sorts itself out. You know, Padres DHs this year had a 349 slugging percentage. What do they do? They go out and get Mitch Moreland, who very quietly has been crushing the baseball this year. Potter's catcher is hitting a buck 46, the 228 on base percentage and that 291 slug. They get Jason Castro, but most importantly, Austin Nola, who has been really, really, really strong as a hitter since he came up last year. Then the bullpen, 5.35 ERA is the seventh worst in the majors, and they were nine for 17 in save opportunities. They go out and they get Trevor Rosenthal. They then get extra aggressive, getting a bunch of cash in the Mariners' bullpen, who, you know, Austin Adams, he's coming off of injury. Dan Altavilla and Taylor Williams had underperformed, but A.J. Preller talked a little bit yesterday about all these guys have big stuff. They addressed every shortcoming they could. Um, you know, left field obviously hasn't been great, but Jerks and Profar has been hitting a little better since a slow start now that he's out there. Again, I think this was a situation where the Padres addressed needs that they were going to have this year and potentially into next year, especially if the DH stays in the National League, um, and made themselves a better team for 2020, but also 2021 and you know, likely 2022 as well. Um, again, having Austin Nola, a catcher who can actually hit, that's a big advantage a lot of clubs don't have. It is, and I think that leads very logically <laughs> – we look at this, we obviously like what the Padres did. Now, the, the second question that follows with that, they made a lot of moves. But obviously, there's one move that kind of stands out more than any other that they made, which is the Mike Clevenger deal. And so I throw it to you, Kyle. I'll ask you the simple question. What did you think? Did the, did the Indians get enough back for Mike Clevenger, who is admittedly like let's <laughs> both damage goods because – he was sent down after not only violating coronavirus protocols that you know were laid out for players and were strongly emphasized this is important. This this violation came after the Marlins had already seen their their season kind of ravaged by an outbreak, but then had lied about it in a meeting. You know, had basically gone essentially hope for a day, criticized. You know, laid out that that Zach Plezak needed to do better. And then it came out that he was part of it. So damaged goods. But that said, one of the better starting pitchers in the American League recently. And a, a guy who, who becomes uh, effectively, I think you could argue, the Padres' ace. And under team control. All of that, did the Indians get enough? Or were you, were you happy? Eh. Or dis 
dissatisfied with the uh, the haul they got. There's two things we have to keep in mind here. One, the Indians pro scouting staff is among the best in the game. So at the very least, we should give them the benefit of the doubt. And player development too. Even if on paper your first instinct is to be underwhelmed, the Indians know what they're doing. You give them the benefit of the doubt. They're one of those clubs you do that with like the Dodgers. Second part of that is the way I see it is this. Did they get one singular stud that is going to swing this trade their way? No but they got a really nice collection of talent they can work with and helps them in both the present and future. I honestly understood the Indians hall was fine with the Indians hall. And most of the scouts I talked to were on the same page. First and foremost, it would not surprise me one bit if Cal Quantrill gets into the Indians pitching development and just blossoms three pitches. He's athletic. He's smart. He's an elite competitor. He's down for anything. You ask him to start be a long reliever, short reliever, close. He does it, and he does it well. All the, all it is with him is just learning to dial back, you know, mix his pitches a little bit better, but all the ingredients are there, and I, I really would not shock me if he goes to Cleveland and really, really flourishes and becomes, you know, the mid to front of the rotation starter that a lot of people projected from him. You know, Josh Naylor, Carlos Santana has a $17.5 million option for 2021, Given the Indians' payroll structure, I don't know how likely it is they pick that up. But if they don't and just move Naylor to first base and say, okay, just focus on hitting. Don't worry about trying to be an outfielder. Go back to your natural position. Focus on developing as a hitter. I I think that can give him a chance to really kind of blossom into this power hitter a lot of people thought he was going to be. The hand-eye coordination is elite. There's a ton of raw power. He knows the strike zone. He just doesn't swing at pitches he can drive. He swings a lot of pitcher's pitches, and that's why you don't see a very good barrel rate. You see a lot of weak ground balls. If he can just go to first base, and instead of all that extra time he's spending in the outfield, work in the cage, focus on becoming a better hitter and improving his pitch selection, I do think you can unlock something. So you get two young big leaguers who there's absolutely a chance that there's more in the tank. And if the Indians do things the right way, as I think they will, I think they have a good chance at unlocking that. And then the three prospects, Owen Miller, Joey Cantillo, Gabe Arias, you know, these guys are not lottery tickets. All three have a realistic shot to be solid big leaguers. You know, are all three of them going to reach that ceiling? You know, history tells us no, right? But all three of these guys would have been top 10 prospects in a lot of other systems. Arias was a top 10 prospect in one of the top three systems in baseball. Cantillo and Miller were just outside of it and absolutely would have been top 10 prospects in 2022 systems in the major leagues. So, you know, they got a mix of pitchers and hitters. They got guys who can play the middle. They got guys who are power guys, contact guys. They got a nice collection of well-rounded talent, all of which can either help them now or theoretically within the next year or two. So given everything surrounding Mike Clevenger and, and again, not knowing, you know, what other teams put on the table, I do think this was an okay package on the whole. And I'm going to disagree with you. Not strongly. I, I do agree with a lot of your logic there. But that said, a couple things that stand out to me. One, if it comes down to quality or quantity, again, there is a certain amount of spreading of risk. But give me quality every time. I, the, one of the worst trades I can remember in recent memory was the, uh, the J.D. Martinez trade a few years ago with the Tigers. And they did get three players back, but I remember thinking at the time, I remember writing and talking. I think we did a podcast after it. And it was like talking at the time. It's like, 
yeah, okay, you got three guys, but at the same time, and all of whom may make the majors, but none of whom is likely to ever be half as good as J.D. Martinez is right now. And, and, and again, the, the, the discount ratio you have to throw on prospects three in, in, in trades, like we've, we've written about the trade deadline. If, if, if 35 40% of the prospects traded yesterday end up being successful big leaguers, that's a very good ratio for the trade deadline. So you, you start with that. But the thing that stands out to me, and again, this may be a weird way to judge a trade. Maybe it's a wrong way. I, I, maybe I'm wrong. But there is not a player who the Padres included in that trade that just picture the scene, okay, A.J. Preller has his lieutenants gathered by Zoom or whatever since we're not, you know, we're still in a virtual world, lays out the parameters of the proposed deal. I don't think that there's a player in this deal who anyone on the side of the Padres stood up and said, we can't trade this guy. Are we really going to trade this guy in this deal? This is the guy who's really going to come back to haunt us. And again, that doesn't happen in every deal. But when you trade a guy, the quality of Mike Clevenger and what he is going to mean or should mean for this Padres club, normally, normally you will get at least one guy back. To, to give you an example of that, I think that Taylor Trammell, the fact that I, I say this as a Taylor Trammell fan, the person Taylor Trammell, outstanding, every interaction I've ever had with him. He is one of the most, you know, he is a, he is a wonderful person, very thoughtful. I, I think he, I hope that he becomes a star in Seattle. But Taylor Trammell is a guy who was included in a deal with the Mariners. And at least I could imagine that someone in the call when they're debating that trade Someone on the Padres side is like, are we really going to trade Taylor Trammell? Because Taylor Trammell, if it all clicks, we could, be missing, we could really be missing something here that really would be useful for us in 2022-2023. Is there one I'm missing? Again, I agree with you that the, the Indians may turn Cal Quantrill into something that he's not right now. But I think if I'm the Padres, I look at it and say, I don't think that we can turn him into that. He hasn't been that for us. They may take Joey Cantillo, who fits a lot of things that – Cleveland loves in a pitching prospect and they'll put their magic dust on him and he'll gain two to three miles an hour while continuing to have exceptional command. And you'll look at it and go, man, he turned into a really good pitching prospect, but a really, a really good pitcher. But is there a guy in this, if you're the Padres who they like went to bed last night going, we really got ourselves better, but man, I have that regret that we had to include this guy in the deal. Probably not. Again, I think both things can be true at the same time, right? The Padres have built a tremendous amount of depth. They have a lot of really good players in the major leagues. And because of that, you can look at some of these guys and not freak out about it. Gabe Arias has a chance to be a stud if he continues to make strides in pitch selection, but they have Fernando Tatis Jr. They don't have to worry about if Gabe Arias goes out and becomes an all-star. Cool. Awesome. Again, the Padres have built a really, really talented system with veterans, young big leaguers, good prospects. And because of that, they're able to make these trades of these guys who very likely will turn into something or have a good chance to turn into something, but not have it come back to really bite them because, okay, well, you know, it, yeah, it's good to see him do well, but we have other guys here to fill that role too. So I think it, it's, it's okay. Again, the Indians, I go back to, if they can get Cal Quantrill to do, you know, make some strides. If they can get Josh Naylor to, you know, unlock some of that latent raw power, 
this is going to turn out okay for them. That doesn't mean the Padres are going to come back and regret this trade. It just means the Indians might be okay with how everything turns out. And look, I, I will say with Mike Clevenger, you absolutely feel a lot better if you're the Padres starting a three-game series with Mike Clevenger and Denelson Lamette than you would Lamette. And, you know, Zach Davies has been really good, but he's not that dominant postseason starter type you want. And then, you know, Chris Paddock and Garrett Richards have been really, really inconsistent. So being able to open a series with Clevenger and Lamette, yeah, you absolutely make this trade. And and I get it from both sides. I really do. And, and I don't think the uh, J.D. Martinez trade is an appropriate comparison here just because Dawal Lugo and Sergio Alcantara and Jose King, you know, none of those guys projected to be much of anything. They were, yeah. and Naylor were top 100 prospects who've gotten to the big leagues and shown you something. You know, Arias is on the fringe of the 100. I think this is a much, much, much better package than what that was. Here, here's my other problem with it, though. This is a Cleveland team that, as I look at it, their window is closing. When Francisco Lindor heads out the door, which is coming, then at that point, you look at them and you say, compared to the White Sox, compared to the Twins, who knows compared, you know, but between, compared to those two teams, they're probably going to take a step back. Great player development is all as they have. So I look at their window that this is right now. They're trying to, one of the things that was vital to me for them to do if they're going to trade Clevenger, trade from their, their, their pitching surplus, is to help the club now. And I agree with you. They may turn Quantrill. Quantrill may get, he may be vastly improved in their pitching development and may take a step forward. But it probably won't be this year. It's late in the season. Um, Josh Naylor may be a very useful part of their club. But that said, the Padres, and maybe their evaluation is wrong, but the Padres did not look at him as the answer at DH for them this year. They didn't need him to play in the field necessarily. They went out and got Mitch Moreland because they did not feel comfortable that he is ready to do so for them right now. Cleveland has – take this part. It's this trade partly, but it's also the fact – Cleveland has the worst outfield situation in Major League Baseball among teams that are trying to contend. And the, the lone thing effectively that they did to try to improve it is Josh Naylor, who may, you know, who outfield defense is not his main asset. I would have loved to have seen them. Brian Goodwin was moved yesterday in a trade that was, I would describe as a very low cost trade. There were other players like that. They didn't need a very high bar. They didn't need to land a middle-of-the-order bat in the outfield in a trade. Cleveland, though, did need to add someone to that outfield, which right now is very, very thin. And by the way, I agree with everything you just said. Again, Cleveland, and this, this is where, to me, if you are going to criticize the Indians, it's that are you a better team with Mike Clevenger in your rotation, or are you better team with this collection of players? And the answer is you're better with Mike Clevenger in your rotation, given you have a competitive window in 2020 and 2021, if they hold on to Francisco Lindor as they should, because again, this is a team that is right in the thick of things. Um, it's just, if you're going to trade him, is this package okay? I know you say no, I say yes. I'm not going to tell you it's a great package and they crushed it, but again, Nice collection of talent. A couple guys can take a step forward. If they had made the decision to trade Mike Clevenger, no matter what, I understand why they accepted this package. But I do think there's an argument that they should not have made that trade and kept him in their rotation 
and made them a better team in 2020. If you want to have that as the argument, I do agree with that statement. Well, we are going to talk about the other team, another team that we thought was a potentially uh, a big winner, or I would say at least a, uh, you, you got to give them credit for what they did. We're going to do that right after this break. It's summertime, and at my bookie, that can only mean one thing. It's winning season. Winning season means doubling your first deposit. Winning season means free bets, super contests, survivor, and more. At my bookie, winning season is all about your chance to win big. Bet the NBA playoffs, the NHL playoffs, Major League Baseball, UFC, and then some. The craziest sports summer of your lifetime is here. It's simple. Make your picks, win big, collect your cash. Invest in your intuition. Select from hundreds of future bets or you can bet games in real time with MyBookie's live betting. Put that big brain of yours to good use. Use promo code BASEBALLAMERICA and double your first deposit. That's BASEBALLAMERICA, all one word. New players can get up to $1,000 in free play designed to act more excitement to the sports that you love and the games you bet. So that means that if you deposit up to $1,000, MyBookie will match that. They will double your deposit. There are a thousand across sports wagers, props, and parlays await. Sign up now to bet with the best and celebrate your victory. Your winning season begins today, only at my bookie. And Kyle, we're back. And while the Padres were obviously the team that did the most to help themselves, who else do you think kind of stood out as a team that 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 was active and did it in a good way? Yeah, the Blue Jays are the team to me outside the Padres. You know, they're the number eight seed in the AL playoff picture right now, trying to get back to the postseason for the first time since 2016. Brought in Taiwan Walker, Robbie Ray, Ross Stripling to help the pitching staff. I really like the Jonathan VR addition. Uh, he's been playing more shortstop with Miami this year. With Boba Shed out, they're going to give him a shot there. Um, really upgrading the rotation and adding a nice middle infielder. Th- that's a successful trade deadline to me. Now, they're going to be banking big time on being able to fix what's wrong with Robbie Ray and Ross Stripling. You know, Ray changes arm action has a 7.84 ERA and the most walks in the majors. And, you know, Stripling had been kind of that swingman spot starter, Swiss army knife for the Dodgers last few years. This year, his first turn as a full-time rotation member has not gone well, five, six, one ERA, but given the injuries to Trent Thornton, Matt Shoemaker, Nate Pearson, I get it. You bring these guys in, they have track records of success. Maybe you make a tweak or two. And and given some of the other options they were looking at, I do think these guys, their talent level should help the Blue Jays as long as they can make the necessary fixes. This is one of the things that was most interesting to me about what we saw happen at the trade deadline is the teams who are I, I get this. The teams who are the ones who I would largely, Padres accepted, describe as world most likely World Series candidates, largely sat it out or made little moves around the fringes. I mean, like the, I think the Rays made a move, but they made a move like here, okay, we got Brett Phillips, we traded away Lucius Fox. These are very peripheral moves. The teams that were most active were the teams who are kind of. I don't think I, you're, you're in a lot of these cases, they're the Reds, the Blue Jays. These are teams who they're going to have to have a whole lot go well in October to be playing for a very long time. That said, there's no advantage. I mean, there are no advantages to winning the division. You're, everyone's kind of in, potentially in the same boat. Being the, uh, the eighth seed in the AL or NL doesn't really cost you a whole lot compared to being the one seed this year. And that dynamic 
it's a big reason why we saw most of the teams who were the most aggressive for the most part are the teams for whom they've been rebuilding for a few years and making the postseason means a lot to the franchise showing, Hey, we've, we've done it. We've turned it around. We're back on the right track. You're right. The teams like the Yankees, the Dodgers, the Rays who have been in the postseason the last few years, you know, merely making the postseason doesn't mean a whole lot to them. They want to do more than that. And given all the factors involved in this year's trade deadline, it didn't make a lot of sense for them to, you know, go out and start shipping guys out to bring in three, four, five guys that they're only going to get for potentially, you know, 25 days. So, um, you know, with the Blue Jays, I, again, I get it. This is a team that picked in the top five this year, um, but they were good not that long ago. And they're a large market team who, you know, winning makes a difference for them. Uh, I will say one of the things that, that I like about what the Blue Jays did here and upgrading all these starting pitchers is, you know, they actually have, as a team, the fifth lowest ERA in baseball, despite all the pitching injuries we talked about. The bullpen's been insanely good with Jordan Romano and A.J. Cole and Tom Hatch and Rafael Deliz. I mean, Anthony Bass, Ryan Barucki, all these guys have been lights out. You know, Hunjin Ryu and Chase Anderson, two all-season acquisitions, have been really good in the rotation. They have a lot of pieces. This is an offense that's top half of baseball in most categories. So it's okay. We have a top half offense in baseball pitching staff that's been one of the top five in the majors and you know we can supplement it with some veteran starters it, it makes a lot of sense to do it and I, and I do like what they did this trade deadline now we have to see who some of the players to be named later they're trading away are before we can fully assess it but on the whole I look at them you know beyond the potters as the team that that did the most especially with as you said a lot of the big dogs kind of sitting this one out yeah I the other thing with that okay so we do have a lot of teams who did sit it out a lot of them I understand. Uh, again, what we just talked about. Like, there are teams who are, like, the, the Twins are struggling mightily right now, and they didn't make any moves. That said, they're still going to make the playoffs, I think. And if you told me that a team was going to acquire Josh Donaldson, Byron Buxton, and, uh, and Michael Pineda in September, I, I would probably say those are some really good moves, and that probably could help fix a team, which that's going to be three guys who should be back for, uh, for the Twins pretty soon. The White Sox didn't make a whole lot of moves. And I look at the White Sox and say, they're just starting their window. They may be really good this year, but they, they could absolutely be picky. And it's like, we're not going to make a move unless it's exactly right for what we need. I, I did find some teams, though, that to me, I, I, am, I am baffled that, Atlanta, that Atlanta's only move was to add Tommy Malone. I was wondering if you're, is there anyone that comes to mind for you? I could go on a, a pretty long one on that, but is, is that the team that stands out to you that didn't make a move that you thought should, or is there someone else? I think they, the Braves are the team that yes, probably needed to make moves the most that did not. I think beyond them, again, there's no one who's quite to that level. I, I do look at the Astros a little bit, just given they've started to kind of turn some things around um, but they absolutely could have used some additional, you know, pitching in the form of maybe it's some more bullpen help, although they've had some of their young rookies step up pretty well. Again, they've had some young guys in the rotation step up. Um, but, you know, this is a team that still has some of the premier offensive talent in Major League Baseball. And those guys can get hot. And, and I would not be surprised if they were to, you know, again, get into potentially even the ALCS, just given that lineup. And, and you look at that rotation with, you know, Zach Greinke and Lance McCullers and Framber Valdez, and it's it's a it's good, but you probably would want someone lights out at the end of games with some experience or, or another, you know, beefed up starter. 
But again, the Astros have traded away so many prospects over the last few years. There's not really a whole lot left. And the young big leaguers they have, they kind of need. So again, that's the team I look at as, okay, they probably could have used some upgrades. Again, the Yankees have Aaron Judge and, and John Carlos Stanton coming off the IL soon. They could have made some upgrades, but I understand the argument of, well, we have guys coming off the IL that will be very nice upgrades. Houston's the team to me that that I think could have used some more arms. But again, no one quite to the level of the Braves who desperately needed to do something and ultimately didn't do a whole lot except for that Tommy Malone trade. Uh, my, my problem with this on Atlanta's side is right now, as it stands at this moment, we know that come playoff time, and we know that playoffs are, you know, it's going to be, again, you're going to have to get through. Winning the division this year doesn't help you with this that much. You, you, you're going to have to win your first, you know, your first round series, followed by a second round, followed by a third round. You know, it's going to go on and on and on. And they have Max Fried. Let's be, let's be optimistic for Atlanta and say that Ian Anderson's debut, he is a – bolt of lightning into the middle of the rotation that that sticks up with that and that gives them a second starter tommy malone is not a guy you want starting a, a postseason game i'm sorry it, tommy I, I give absolute credit to to baltimore for getting something for malone who let's just be honest if you were talking about the last three trade deadlines you would not have he would not have garnered almost anything in, in trade but they don't have a number three. Their, their hope right now for a number three starter or a number two, because, again, Ian Anderson just made his debut, but their hope is either Josh Tomlin, who at least has done this in the past, or hoping that Mike Fultonawitz or Kyle Wright or Sean Newcomb or Tuki Toussaint or Bryce Wilson or Tucker Davidson, that someone from this group or Robbie Erlin that someone takes a step forward. And I, for a team that, that really, again, like Soroka going down does hurt them, but for a team that really was, should be one of the teams to challenge for a World Series appearance, a World Series title from the National League, that's just, it, it, again, it surprises me that they did not find something. Uh, again, a Lance Lynn, you know, uh, someone who could, have, who could have taken a step forward. Especially because Atlanta does have the prospect capital and young big leader capital to have made a move. Again, I'll be interested to see. Maybe they're you know really really bullish on on you know if Ian Anderson based off his early starts can can do something for them. But you're right. There's no question they need another starter. And again, I look at the Astros, uh, especially given Lance McCullers hasn't actually pitched that well. Um, that's a team that could have used another arm. But again, they might not have had the prospect capital to do anything. The one team that didn't do anything, but in the opposite way, kind of in an interesting, maybe kind of good way. And, and I give them credit for, for saying, hey, we're close enough. We're going to compete. I, I really, really, really would love to see more teams say we're going to try and actually compete, not just give up on it. Um, the Giants. The Giants are a half game out of the number eight seed in the National League playoff picture. They had some guys they could have moved. You know, Kevin Gaussman's done some good things. You have guys like Tyler Anderson, you know, Johnny Cueto, if a team was willing to take on what's left of his salary. They had some arms they could have moved and I think gotten some interesting trade packages. But they held on to it and they said, we're only a half game out. Let's give it a shot. And I, I kind of like that and respect it. The other one I'd throw in like that, and let's be honest, that what they traded away is not something I don't think that it's – 
going to hurt them that much. But I, I look at Cincinnati, and this is another team. Cincinnati, kind of like we described the Blue Jays, it's a team that they had a, a run there, but it's been a while ago now. And they're just on the edge. They're just on the, the cusp of, of contention. It could still go wrong in September. There's no doubt about that. But that said, I mean, this is a team that if they can just get into the postseason as an eight seed, if you said a, a team that's going to have Sonny Gray, Trevor Bauer, and Luis Castillo take the mound in a, uh, in a, in a short series, I kind of like their, I, I like their ability to be very kind of uh, dangerous in, in a series like that. And them going out and just making a couple of, you know, of improvements, helping out, uh, you know, in, in really what could only be described as, as tangential ways, helping out the bullpen a little bit and, and helping out, you know, in the outfield. I, I like the fact that they did that rather than sell because this is a team that, that really kind of needs to have a season where they're relevant come uh, late September. Yeah, the Reds are, uh, are not that far out of it either. And, and, you know, that NL playoff picture is so bunched right now. I mean, Milwaukee has had a terrible season and they're a half game out of it. They also kind of stood pat at the deadline in terms of not trading Josh Hader or any of their other uh, potential big assets. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's not at the greatest group of teams at the bottom of the NL postseason picture, but you know, we saw them all stand, stand put. And I, I understand it. I'm all four teams competing. Of the sellers, did anyone really jump out at you as doing well? You know, you mentioned the Orioles, and for me, again, being able to flip Tommy Malone, we have to see exactly what he brings back. Um, but I thought the Orioles, what they got back for Michael Givens, it, it opened my eyes. Um, just given, again, I think Taryn Vavra is a really nice middle infielder who can hit. You know, Tyler Nevin has struggled to stay healthy, but when he's been healthy, he's performed and hit decently well. They got a player to name later on top of it. Uh, Michael Givens is a very, very good reliever. He's been one of the best setup men in really Major League Baseball since he debuted in 2015. Um, but to get, you know, two pretty solid offensive prospects who can help in the infield and a player to be named later, I, I did like that return for the Orioles on top of the Malone deal. I'm a little more sanguine about that uh, that return maybe than you are. Um, if one of those guys ends up being useful for a few years, I think that would be a, a pretty – positive response you know return from that we're talking about guys who are kind of more in that that muddled middle of of prospects the you know i we do ba grades the the 50 highs the 45 mediums where a lot of them don't turn out and, and every now and then a few of them do but again considering what they were trading i do i, I was quite okay with what they kind of brought back um i, I do I, I i i bring up the mariners again i, I do think that the mariners probably did as good a job as as anyone i don't think that seattle really traded anything much like i said with the with the padres i i don't think again this is the i'm trying to imagine a jerry depoto trade meeting and and i imagine people jumping around all the way and saying trade 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 the whole time because it's a it's a jerry depoto trade meeting but that said i don't think that there's anyone that they dealt who really was a key part of their long-term plan again you know they did trade nola that's that's a good chip but but nola was kind of almost found value i mean this is a guy who was uh kind of a surprise development in some ways and so and also is is old enough because of the kind of odd way that his career developed that if you're looking at 2022 2023 and beyond you know it's it's fair to say i, I think that they made themselves again better for 
two, three years down the road than they've been. They, got, they have a surplus of outfielders now. I, when you look at what their 2022 lineup's going to look like, they, they kind of already have uh, allowed for attrition because there's more of those guys than there are spots to play them. Yeah, no, the Mariners trade for Austin Nola, I thought, uh, or excuse me, the Mariners trade uh, involving Austin Nola, sending him to San Diego was actually, I thought, one of the, the better seller deals that were made during this deadline. You know, you look at it from the Potters perspective, their first three deals, my initial reaction was, yep, makes sense. Great job. The Mike Clevenger deal, again, I get it. They gave up a, a lot that, more than I think others do. But again, I get it. I understand it. This was the only deal that they made where my thought was when I looked at it, I was like, I think they overpaid. Now I get why they overpaid. It's just so hard to find a catch who can actually hit and Austin Nola can hit. Um, but they're banking a lot on Austin Adams and Dan Altavila staying healthy and throwing strikes. Both these guys have had control issues in the past. Altavila's had injuries. Adams is coming off of a torn ACL. They gave up a lot when Nola is, is again, the only quote-unquote sure thing in that deal. Um, Trammell is you know, a top 100 prospect who, again, there's some mixed reactions on. He's by no means a slam dunk you know, future stud, but he's improved a lot since the Potters have acquired him. His roots have gotten better in the outfield. His arm strength, which was previously a knock on him, has ticked up this year. He's showing better timing in the box. This is still a young outfielder with tremendous makeup who's trending the right direction. Ty France is a really, really, really nice bench player to have that a lot of teams would like. And, oh, by the way, Andres Munoz reached the majors at 20, throws 100. And again, he has some injury issues. He has some control issues. But I think Munoz is the best reliever in this deal. He's better than Adams. He's better than Altavila. So I, I thought this was the one that if the Padres overpaid anywhere, this was the one. And on that, in that sense, I thought the Mariners did very, very well to, you know, get all that talent, get Trammell, get Munoz, get a nice bench bat in France for a catcher who can hit and two relievers who, while they have great stuff, control and injuries are concerns. Yeah, I think, um, again, that, that's one of those where if you want to argue it either way, I understand it because it really does in some ways come down to Taylor, if Taylor Trammell turns into the player, if he reaches his, you know, his best case, 25% scenario of his best case of what he can be, the Mariners are going to win that trade. If Taylor Trammell hits the, you know, he, he doesn't come close to that and the, he, he gets on base, but he doesn't hit for a whole lot of power. He struggles to hit for average, you know, at the level to get his on base into those really kind of, you know, kind of, exceptional ranges and all that well then if that happens which is also a possibility then this absolutely could be a uh, a deal we look back on and go yeah the you know the reality of it is is even if let's say Munoz comes back late 2021 you know 2022 and is a really good uh, a really good reliever even maybe down the road moves to start but that can happen and you still would say the Padres would do that trade you know a hundred times out of a hundred it really comes down to if both of those guys hit, then, then that's a trade that the Padres are going to root. But again, I will come back to either of those guys, Munoz or Trammell, is more likely to inspire that, oh, can we include that in a deal than anyone that Cleveland got in, in their trade. So it's, it was a very fun trade deadline. Have we missed anyone? Is there anyone else, any other team out there, any other trade out there that you're like, oh, wait, we, have, we need to cover that one before we wrap this up? 
Yeah. So one thing I think we do need to say is it's hard to really assess all the sellers because there's still 25 players to be named later that have to be named. So until those are named, we know who a lot of these prospects are. Um, it's always going to be hard. It's always hard to evaluate a trade as soon as it happens, but especially with all these players to be named later. Um, it's hard to give a full assessment of the sellers. But the other trade that did jump out at me was the A's acquiring Mike Miner. The A's have had either the best record or second best record in the American League for most of the season with a lot of their top players not performing at peak level yet. You know, Matt Chapman, Matt Olson, Marcus Simeon still have not gotten to their, you know, their full, you know, normal level of play. Um, they've also had some pitching issues. Sean Manaya has not been good in his first full year back from his shoulder surgery. Frankie Montas got off to a hot start. He's fallen off. You know, Mike Miner is, is a very, very good pitcher. Um, he was better last year than this year, but he's still a good pitcher who knows what he's doing out there. He's going to a new team, a winning team. I, I really like that upgrade. And if, you know, the A's, if some of their guys just start performing more toward their normal career levels here in September and into October, this was already a dangerous team. And, and I think they just got a, a good chunk better, especially if Miner is one of those guys. And all of a sudden you can line up. Frankie Montas and Mike Miner and Jesus Lazardo and one of Fires or Manaya kind of gets everything going. That's a really, really nice top four and, and potentially five in the rotation. I, I'm going to turn around. I'm Mr. Negative on this podcast today. The, the flip side of that is, is that at this time last year, Texas opted to hold on to Mike Miner. And I don't know a way to say it other than when you look at how it played out. And again, this is now with perfect hindsight and they had four, they were having to look ahead, not back, but Mike Miner would have garnered significantly more at the trade deadline last year than he did this year. This year, Texas, who is not in contention to, I mean, again, it's 16 team playoffs, but it's kind of hard to imagine Texas being one of the ones who, who, who makes the, uh, the 18 for the AL to make it. Texas opted to hold on to Lance Lynn in a very similar scenario. Yes, they can hold on to him. Maybe there will be, you know, maybe there is a reason. Maybe that Texas is going to be good enough. He does have one year remaining. That would be worthwhile to hold on to him for next year. Maybe they can get more for him in the offseason. But all that being said, Lance Lynn was one of the few potentially playoff rotation starters who was available and let's also acknowledge that Lance Lynn's career, he's had moments in the last couple of years. Lance Lynn's on one of the better runs of his career. I just don't, I just don't think that his value is going to be higher by holding on to him than it would have been. Now, again, that's without knowing exactly what the offers that were out there. But I, I look at the Mike Miner deal, and I think that is an example of here is the risk that you take if you're a team that is not winning now that is absolutely in rebuilding phase and you hold on to a guy, well, you, you may end up selling low. Is it fair to say that they sold low on Mike Miner compared to last year and they run the same risk with Lance Lynn or would, you know, would you agree or disagree with that? Oh, absolutely. There's no question. The Rangers um, definitely dropped the ball a little bit there. And some of that just comes from, you know, accurately assessing if you're really a playoff team or not. They thought they were last year when they weren't and they held on to minor. And this year with Lance Lynn, it, it's surprising they held on to him again without knowing what other deals were on the table. By the way, I have to go back. I omitted Chris Bassett in our discussion of ace pitchers, which is wrong because Bassett's been their best starting pitcher this year. So really, Look at Bassett, Lizardo, Fires, Manier, Montaz, and Minor starts to turn around. You've got a pretty good top four. So 
again, for the Rangers to, to sell low on Mike Miner, give him to a division rival, there's no question this is a, a lower point for them. And this continues to be the franchise that I look at the most and say, I don't necessarily see a clear path for them to get back to where they were at the start of this decade, where they made the playoffs five times in seven years, back-to-back World Series appearances. This is not a very good major league team. It's not a very good farm system. Um, they haven't done particularly well in trades in recent years. You know, the Cole Hamels trade was, was a giveaway that still blows my mind. We've talked about Mike Miner. We've talked about holding on to Lance Lynn. It's, it's, it's going to be a rough road for the Rangers. And, and you know, the A's are able to benefit from it, getting a potentially really, really nice starting pitcher at a very low cost from a division rival. Yeah. So we've covered a lot here. I'm sure we will cover more in the next uh, you know, weeks as we continue to podcast. But we do thank you, as always, for the download. We thank you for, you know, do check out BaseballAmerica.com. There, is, there, are, there are trade write-ups on 25 deals that were done. You have a trade central, uh, you know, uh, trade deadline central where you have links to all of our analysis. You also have there Kyle's uh, five things that we can, you know, kind of know now, observations about the trade deadline. You have my piece about, going a little further on why the Padres were willing to trade the prospects that they did and maybe some of the little subtle aspects of that. We also ranked every prospect traded. And that's just what we did about the trade deadline. That doesn't count the fact that we have updated all 60 uh, all teams player pools. So you know who's been added and what's, you know, changed since the player pools were all sites were announced. We also have, you know, college coverage. We have draft coverage. We also broke the news yesterday about the draft moving next year to July for the first time ever and what that means and why they did that. And, and we also had stuff about, you know, what's going on with the negotiations between minor league and major league baseball. The, you know, and Kyle's been, you know, heading out and we got a lot of major league coverage and we'll have, you know, our rookie of the year watch uh, and we'll have our power rankings coming later in the week again, as we did last week. And so what it just, all to say, there's a lot of stuff at BaseballAmerica.com. New issue just uh, hitting, uh, hitting everyone's apps right now as well if you're a Baseball America subscriber. So thank you for all, for all of you who do. But for Kyle, I'm JJ, and thank you to our presenting sponsor, MyBookie. So long, everybody. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.